0: Joe, yes. with me is Nick. Unpredictable. Uh, no. And we are at part six of the Soviet-Afghan That's war. That's crazy. God. We're almost to the end, I promise. <laughs> almost. Home stretch. Uh, so, when we left you last week, the Soviet Union was looking for a way out of Afghanistan, and the only way they found was to prop up the teetering Afghan government, now being led by the bloodthirsty Muhammad Najibola. 1985, Mikhail Gorbachev became leader of the Soviet Union and he had a ton of reforms in mind that he worried simply would not work if Soviet soldiers were still trapped in Afghanistan. For instance, Gorbachev allowed a certain amount of freedom of the press. uh, As as most people have heard uh, before this, there absolutely was no free press in the Soviet Union. He was looking to change that and that would have um, some pretty serious backlash. I mean, that's pretty dope. Uh, there was a magazine called Ogonyak, uh, probably butchering that, uh, but it's something of like a Soviet version of life magazine. Oh, okay. Um, began publishing terrifying firsthand accounts of soldiers' lives in Afghanistan, as well as showing regular citizens for the first time, the horrible conditions that their loved ones are forced to live in thousands of miles away from home. He allowed that? It was part of his reforms. That's actually kind of cool. I mean, solid on Gorbachev's part. Also, it definitely had a huge amount to do with why the Soviet Union fell apart. Um, you know, when you think everybody has it as bad as you, you're probably like, I'll suck it up and everything will be fine. But when you realize, like, a lot of people have it much better than you, you're like, man, this fucking sucks. Yeah. Uh, and that this uh, general, this gradual uh, allowance of freedom called uh, Pestroika and Glasnost... Uh, had a pretty heavy hand in the end of the uh, Soviet Union. But uh, there's no massive anti-war movement um, in the Soviet Union like there was in the U.S. during the Vietnam War. But people are still getting pissed. Um, Whether they intended to or not, the Soviets uh, tended to deploy far more soldiers from the satellite republics rather than Russia itself. Uh, The growing number of returning wounded soldiers began to galvanize nationalist sentiments within these areas, Further stressing the now incredibly fragile Soviet Union, um, one thing that um, I mean, we're not exactly talking about the fall of Soviet Union in the series, but it's definitely a character in the series. Um, one of the things that kept a lot of these republics in line was the idea that the Soviet Army was was absolutely unbeatable if they had any ideas. Uh, the Red Army was going to come storming through, and like you know, dissent was pointless. But then they realized like army's fucking falling apart. Um so like maybe the army isn't the strong like it's it, it was the ties that bound the Soviet Union together. Yeah. Everybody was serving hypothetically alongside one another, you know, all, everybody working towards one goal and this is really the first time in the history of the Soviet Union that that was stressed. Um obviously during World War II that was kind of like the binding moment of Soviet society cuz very Came very close to falling apart. Right. And this is the first time that it's been tested since then. Uh, and it didn't go quite so well. <laughs> um, Gorbachev gave his military leaders two years to make some kind of progress in Afghanistan. And he took away any kind of restrictions as far as like troop numbers or weapons they could bring into the Stop country. Working on a deadline sucks. Yeah. Well, it was like both working on the deadline, but also he, they were giving a blank check. Uh, think of this as the Soviet version of the surge. Mm. It worked about okay. it as well. <laughs> uh, so, All right. Pl- uh, kind of a spoiler alert. It didn't go well. Um, but so Gorbachev also began to pressure Najibola on the political side of the house because I mean, all these, these victories would mean nothing if the Afghan, if the Afghan people didn't have a functioning government. Um, but we're going to talk about that later. We're going to talk about the military side of things first. Um, Now, with the military leaders being given a blank check, they decided to launch one of the largest operations of the entire war in 1987. say a cool name. It's called Operation Magistral. Not that cool. (laughs) Not cool at all. (laughs) It it might mean something cool in Russian. So if anybody speaks Russian, let us know. Let us know. Hopefully it's cool. (laughs) So it was an effort to break the siege of the city of Kost. Um, The city of Kost had been under one siege or another since around 1981. Um, This forced the Soviets to supply... Uh, theirs and the Afghan soldiers via helicopter, which became a bit more difficult now that Stingers were in the battlefield. Yeah. Um, Stinging them. Uh, not only was it hard to operate in the area, but they it, it's hard to prop up a government when like the government can't even control a city, you know. And that's supposed to be their strong point. Like everyone's, well, the Mujahideen controls the r- rural areas, but yeah. they control the cities. They they didn't. Uh, so they wanted to try to help them. Before the Soviets turned to military operations, however, they let the Afghan government attempt to uh, win over locals. Is the Jadran tribe that controlled the area? Um, This is part of the new plan. You say uh, Zad or Jad? Jad Jadran. Yeah, Uh, I heard Chad as well. (laughs) Chad the the Chad tribe. (laughs) Yeah, they just wear backward hats, (laughs) backwards hats, and frosted tips and shit. Why is everybody wearing monster hats? This is <laughs> yeah. fucking stupid. Fuck, all these walls have punch, punch <laughs> holes in it. God damn it, mom. Everybody's link, listening to uh, Nickelback and Blink-182. <laughs> I feel like I stopped uh, describing a Chad and started just describing the early 2000s in my high school. Mm. Which I, I guess they're both interchangeable. Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure they're pretty close in similarity. So the Soviets finally kind of accepted this was, you know, what is now known as hearts and minds or counterinsurgency. It was a competition uh, uh, between the Kabul government and the Mujahideen uh, over the the people. Um, and the people who could win over the most, or the the government form that can win over the most people wins the war. Unfortunately, it took them almost eight years to fucking figure this out. Um, but this is what they were trying to do. Is um, So they attempted to, like, win over the jadran tribe with piles of food supplies fuel um like just whatever they could give them (laughs) i just see a Uh, shitty pile like here's your food you know it probably wasn't a lot because like they didn't have a ton of supplies in the country in the first place it it, it was kind of like a pyramid scheme well i imagine logistics reverse one like you said logistics were shit they were really bad so i could only imagine that they were for the civilians like Here's a bag of, what do we got? Uh, Rat fucked MREs. I got the school pocket knife. (laughs) You want some dip? Uh, So what happened was, is actually a lot what happens to this day. The Soviets would pump literally tons of supplies into Afghanistan with very little oversight. um, And they would give them to area commanders. Area commanders would give them to the Afghan government. Um, normally they would give them to whatever their corresponding rank was, like a general or whatever. Um, and then that would start a chain of rat fucking from the very top. Nice. Where they would take what they wanted <laughs> and then they'd pass it down to the next sub commander who would take what they wanted, pass it on the next sub commander. And they'd go down. I all, imagine they probably had an overrated MRE as we do. I don't know if it's anything like the Soviet soldiers were eating. It was like sleep for dinner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. They just opened the MRE. Oh, cool! Sleep. My it's it's an empty paper bag. <laughs> yeah. they didn't have to shit in it. Um, <laughs> yeah. and by the time it got down to the lowest level, it was virtually nothing. Like a Doritos bag when you open it. <laughs> yeah, you could echo in that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello! Fuck. No, I, th- that's what they were trying to do to win over this tribe. Um, also, they uh, they handed over massive amounts of of Afghani's, uh, the local currency, it, which. You'll find out means a whole lot of nothing very shortly. Um, how come everything with money in this episode, like the whole series, means nothing? I think so in Afghan... I can't speak for Soviet culture or Soviet economics. I just don't know about them. But I know uh, from what my understanding of how the Afghan government was ran was that nobody had any idea what they were doing. Uh, like That's the, what it seems like. The Minister of Economics and like Najibullah himself had real no education on how to run any of this. And the Soviets weren't really helping them on that front. They were just trying to build this military. So like, we have to get a functioning economy. The Soviets like just shut the fuck up and take our money. We'll figure this out later. And that was, they were just kind of like kicking the can down the road. I mean, Afghanistan has a ton of mineral wealth and natural gas and stuff. Yeah. Um, And they were shipping a ton of it to the Soviet Union because it's right across the border and the Soviet Union was giving them tons and tons of money. um, that will change which we'll talk about in a little bit um so the while these talks were going at the tribe the the tribe kept showing up like yes yes we'll be your friend this stuff's great um but what they're actually doing was simply buying time oh uh, yes um they had never had any intention on joining the government side or even being friends with them they yes. did intend on taking their sweet new gifts though the soviet's fast pivot towards appeasing the locals you have to remember it came after years and years of murder oppression and war crimes so horrible that some people have actually argued they committed genocide in afghanistan so this like mm. sudden face turn it looks like some smiles and bags of rice and shit isn't gonna change anybody's mind um so it makes you wonder why were why was the tribe buying time Well, the Mujahideen were digging in, and they dug the fuck in. They dug in at the mouth of the Satyukandov Pass, which was the only way through the mountains between Gardez and Kos, also the only way the Soviets were going to come from. Uh, Oh, God. The rebels placed three kilometers of mines and explosive devices. They also placed anti-aircraft guns at the highest points of the valley. This was to shoot down Soviet aircraft as well as shoot down on Soviet soldiers. Fuck. Um that turned the area effectively into an entire valley-sized kill zone. Uh, The Mujahideen also had several BM-12 multiple rocket launcher systems, um, kind of like uh, the Soviet Katushas from World War II, just slightly different. Uh, Sorry, that was the Soviet uh, Stalin's organs from World War II. Oh, yes, yes. Um, Katushas are rather newer. But... um, so, uh, our boy Haqqani, who's the Mujahideen commander in the area, said it was, quote, an unassailable bastion on which the Russians will break their teeth. He was not entirely wrong. The Soviets deployed nearly 30,000 men to break the siege. The problem was, absolutely nobody knew where the hell the Mujahideen were dug in. Uh, remember, they're not using satellite imagery. Right. They're, they're not flying sp- spy craft over. They're not really doing any recon flights because they don't want to get shot down. Um, so, the Soviets did something that, in comparison to the rest of the stuff we have been talking about in the last eight hours, um, was actually fucking clever. Oh, and they did something yes, good? Yes. A broken ass clock is right, you know, twice a day or whatever. They, the Soviets finally found a way to be like, well done, well done. Um, so, they flew aircraft over the valley and chucked out dozens of fake paratroopers directly into the valley uh they're effectively mannequins wearing soviet uniforms with parachutes i on remember them. playing with those toys when i was a child where you could just throw them up in the air yeah and they come back down yeah those were really yeah fun. they did that except they were person-sized and also with an entire airlift wing uh when the mujahideen saw these paratroopers they thought the shit was on <laughs> and started lighting them up it's time for action yeah Uh, So they opened fire from their concealed positions. Uh, That was when scout aircraft, also finally employed here, uh, immediately relayed their coordinates uh, back to firing lines um, for waiting artillery, helicopters, and jets. Um, So knowing the Mujahideen would move their positions almost immediately after they engaged those paratroopers, especially after finding out they weren't fucking real, uh, the Soviets wasted no time and began firing within minutes. Um, This started a four-hour-long barrage into the valley, just fucking turning the whole thing into the surface of the moon. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast long enough to remember when Uh. we talked about the Battle of the Somme, uh, over a year ago now, um, the Sir Douglas Haig episode, this had a virtually the same effect. It did nothing. Um the only thing it Solid. did Yeah, the only thing it did is the Mujahideen moved. Um because remember they've they've been moving in caves and under rocks and things like that. Um they've they're very well known for digging tunnel systems, thanks so to Osama bin Laden. Um so they just retreated for a bit and waited for it to be over. Um the Soviets just figured they would have won. They're like Who <laughs> would have just walked into the valley? <laughs> Like, yeah, that's kind not? of what they did. Yeah, um, a motor, a motorized rifle regiment stormed into the valley and was immediately bogged down by enemy fire. Oh, <laughs> a whole fucking regiment! Man, you thought? Uh, according to the book, the bear went over the mountain. Regimental commanders, <laughs> get it out. Go ahead the and do that. Went over the mountain. Yeah, that sounds like a child's fucking. Well, it's a play on the fact that the Soviets are always envisioned as bear. Yeah. yeah not that you. kind of bear but like an actual bear. Yeah, an actual bear. <laughs> yeah. Actual motorized bears. Yeah, motorized bear regiment which would be pretty cool. Uh probably wouldn't yes. fit in their APCs though. That would just be like a pickup truck full of bears. Or or mounted bicyclist bears because they oh, already the taught them yeah, they already taught them how to ride unicycles. <laughs> Uh, yes. Now that's just sad. Uh, so according to the book, uh, the bear went over the mountain. Regimental commanders couldn't figure out what to do once they were actually inside the valley because nobody told them. <laughs> they just kind of sat there, like, "All right, fuck, we're in the valley. What now? Why did nobody plan further than that?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. And, and I know we have talked about that before, where like everything well, their communication is sucks. Their communication's terrible. But even if it was good. Like they would still await orders. They're like, okay, we're in the valley, what now? And then you know they're playing the game of telephone all the way back to some fuckhead and in cost or okay. It just comes back down. Yes. Okay. <laughs> keep pushing. Keep pushing to where? Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty much what happened. They just kind of sat there. It goes on to state that many commanders became literally paralyzed with fear when they saw that that what they had been deployed against. Because remember, they've been digging in for weeks. And the barrage did nothing. And just because this is our show, you know it gets worse. The divisional commander made a fatal calculation. You see, throughout the war, the Soviets had a bad supply problem, which we have talked about at length. um, From everything from fuel to ammunition. Um, Soldiers would only get ammunition under strict limits. Because as we pointed out, everybody knew the soldiers would go sell it. Uh, so that meant commanders had to make calculations based on how like long... Fallout. Yeah, kind of. Uh, except I think Fallout was still more generous. Um, mm, yes. So the commander who was not at the battlefield, mind you, and had probably not fought a battle at all, uh, had to make a cal- calculation based on how long they thought the battle would go on, go on for and how much the soldiers would shoot. And then they would give out how much ammo they thought the soldiers would need for that hypothetical battle. So this is the projected amount of rounds I think you'll fire. Now, you should also know, and I'm sure many people do, that Soviet infantry training did not stress marksmanship. It stressed an overwhelming fire superiority. So if you watch clips of the, the of them operating in Afghanistan, you see virtually every engagement they're in, people are literally just hosing their weapons out in like full automatic. Um, but that notion apparently escaped their own commanders. Um, as you can imagine, most commanders thought their well-trained soldiers of the glorious Soviet army would easily steamroll these simple rebels. Yes. This commander in particular thought so highly of his soldiers, he only issued them about half of the ammunition they would need for the battle. In reality, it's actually probably because he just sold it too. Because remember, like this, the the foot soldiers aren't the only ones being corrupt and selling everything. Their commanders are doing the same thing. So there's a good chance he sold that shit off. Either way, it ended up being a bunch of soldiers running out of ammo and hiding behind rocks until the Mujahideen pretty much just walked up and shot them in the face. Oh God! Yeah. The overall commander of the attack, General Boris Gromov, quickly deployed Afghan commandos and entire airborne battalion into the mountains. Uh, to chase the Afghans from the high ground and force them into the valley floor, where the Soviets were still hanging on, um, and it worked. It it actually did work. Oh, okay. Um, oh, all right. The airborne assault caught the Mujahideen completely by surprise, and combined with the main push into the valley, which at this point was just a pile of corpses, uh, the ta- uh, the uh, the Mujahideen almost ended up in an encirclement. So they had to run away so fast that they had to leave their own weapons behind. So they could run faster um, as they were doing this, the Soviet staged a breakout attack from cost, forcing the Mujahideen to finally give up the siege. Um, they had been, I mean, now I think the, the Mujahideen had been standing toe to toe with a world superpower and holding them in check in that area for the better part of a month. And, you know, they finally had to like, all right, guys, we gotta go. We gotta leave this. We're losing. It's insane. Fuck. I mean, I mean, the Soviets outnumbered the Mujahideen by significant margins and then still managed to fight them in an open battle of attrition and barely win. Um, but the last thing the Soviets had to do was take critical high points so the Mujahideen couldn't just move right back in and start to siege cost all over again. Right. Um, one of those points was a nondescript hilltop named Hill 3234, simply named for how many meters tall it was on the Soviet military maps. That was where 9th Company of the 345th Independent Guards Regiment would be dropped off and told to hold on. Now, I have to correct something here. The Soviets deployed an entire infantry company, which should have been around 130, 140 men. But in reality, there's only about 39 men left. Fuck. After Magistral. It is not known if the Soviets knew that before, or they and they ordered them to go anyway, or they were just the Soviet commanders like, weren't keeping track, or whatever. Either way, they, they told a company to go and hardly a platoon. It's not hard to believe that yeah. they would fuck that up. Yeah. What is known, however, is that almost as soon as the soldiers were dropped off from the hilltop, or to the hilltop, rather, they came under a crushing barrage of rockets, mortars, and artillery from the Mujahideen. While the Soviet troops were pinned down, several hundred Mujahideen fighters, dressed in all black, crawled through the mountains toward them at all sides. As the barrage lifted, the fighters jumped up and in unison began attacking the Soviets. So the thing is, at this point, there is a, you know how we started off with like no veteran corps of the Soviet army because everybody's rotating out? Yeah. That's still mostly true, but a lot of commanders have stuck around. So they've seen some shit. They fought the Mujahideen enough to know like, holy fuck, this is new. One of those guys was a major friend, Klitschevich, um, who had fought the the Mujahideen so often. They are like, this is not the Mujahideen. And he was right. Oh, ninjas. Kind of. <laughs> um, they were not fighting just any group uh, of Afghan rebels. They were actually fighting Pakistani special forces. What? <laughs> um, along when with, did they come into play? <laughs> oh, they have been there the whole time. Um, they, were, they also had with them specialized groups of Mujahideen fighters. They had been training in special operations warfare. Uh, so these 39 guys are probably fucked, right? Yeah. For once we are wrong. Uh, oh. and this actually ends up being one of the craziest battles of the whole war. Uh, the combined force of the Pakistanis and the Afghans got so close to Soviet lines. It could be heard yelling out taunts in Russian, as well as demanding that they surrender. The Soviet soldiers answered back with swear words, insults and hand grenades. Nice. Their line was broken on several occasions. Cause remember, Several hundred against 39. Yeah. There's going to be some gaps. Um, but a, the small band of soldiers held throughout the night, with Klitsievich beating, beating several of the enemy fighters to death with his bare hands after he pistol-whipped some of them. His piece of shit Makarov surface pistol broke in half on somebody's skull. Jesus, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> Taco, um In another incident, the entire line shattered, leaving one private named Andrei Melenkinov behind to fend for himself with a machine gun. The nineteen-year-old single-handedly held the line by himself, allowing the rest of the company to reform and it killed them. Uh, that happened on a few occasions. Um, like the Soviet line would break and try to run to a higher part of the hill uh, and leave behind one guy to hold hey, off you got everybody. This, bro, <laughs> and normally, you know, all the first-hand accounts don't put it that way, like the way you just put it, but it, it's probably what happened. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, um, like, but either way. Each time it worked, like the one guy they left behind bought them enough time so they could reform a line. And each one of them, you know, is hero of the Soviet Union or whatever. But, like, it's kind of crazy that, like, a 19-year-old who'd probably never fired his goddamn machine yeah. gun before held off a, a like, a literal two-company-sized... ninjas? Yeah. Yeah. You can never see the Pakistani ninjas coming. So, around the same time the Soviets ran out of ammunition, the fighters decided they had enough for the night and pulled back. The Soviets sent ammunition to their stranded men in a few flights. Uh, like Helicopters would fly in low, kick off a whole bunch of ammo, and haul ass out before they got shot was down. Was it a whole bunch of ammo? It was enough. Okay. Uh, I mean, remember, now it's about 30 guys. Uh- <laughs> oh, so they could fuck their numbers Hey, we have a whole company still here. 30 guys, whole company. So you remember back during our episode in Operation Storm 333 when I talked about a lieutenant named Valerie Vestroyten? Well, he's now a regimental commander. And he's in charge of this regiment. He's also a colonel. Mm, yes. uh, he decided that the guys on the mountain were pretty much fucked. Uh, and that continued flights into the area were way too dangerous for helicopters, which were worth more than soldiers. Oh, <laughs> man. I can see where this is going. And, and it must be noted, Americans have made the same choice at some point in our military history. Um, the bi- Battle of Ayodrang Valley is a good one. Um, but So... He said that no more flights could go out to pull out the wounded, the dying, or resupply. Uh, so the men would simply have to fight on for what they had, and if they were still alive in the morning, Vistroit would come and pick them up. Unfortunately for the men on the hilltop, they had no way of knowing this. Um, this totally ignored multiple wounded soldiers that the company would just die uh, with, without uh, medical intervention. That was when Soviet, uh, when several Soviet pilots had fucked that and flew the hilltop anyway. This is pretty that's surprising. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it's shocking to me in the U S military when people just ignore orders. It's even more shocking to me in the Soviet military when people, uh, ignore orders, um, because they will ruin your goddamn life. Yeah. I feel like that's <laughs> like a death wish. I mean, we're, we're far past the time of like political commissars shooting people in the face, but like they'll send your ass to Siberia for a duty station for sure. Mm, you know? Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, remember we've talked about before that, uh, if you pissed people off, you'd just be deployed to Afghanistan. Yeah. So like, eh, whatever. Um, they flew in, picked up a whole bunch of wounded soldiers, dropped off crates of ammo, and then hauled ass back. Uh, now the pilots assumed they would be in a lot of trouble, but uh, Vestroiten refused to punish them, which leads me to believe he actually knew how big of an asshole he was being. Yeah. That's... Um, the fighting picked up once again in the middle of the night and went on until morning. Uh, By that point, Punishing Soviet artillery strikes had begun to slam into the special forces guys, and the replenished ammunition stocks made it clear to the combined special operations and Mujahideen forces that their window for victory is closed, and they retreated. They won. Dun, the dun, Soviets dun, won something. God damn. <laughs> yes. Do you think they got a chalkboard up? Like fuck yeah, tally mark. <laughs> Yeah, we finally did it, boys! Fly <laughs> <Yeah>. the flag! <laughs> yeah. It's like when the Lions win a playoff game. <laughs> oh, that hasn't happened since I've been alive. <laughs> um, so for their actions, two of the Soviet soldiers are posthumously, posthumously awarded the Hero of the Soviet Union Medal, while everybody else is given the Order of the Red Banner and the Order of the Red Star. Um, to close out the Battle of uh, Hill Thirty Two Thirty Four. Is something I think best tells the entire story of the Soviet venture in Afghanistan, or pretty much everybody else's ventures into Afghanistan, ours or the British, either time. Um, that is when the Soviets left the area, the Mujahideen simply moved right back into it. The city of Akas was once again placed under siege. It was all for nothing. Nice. Battle of Magistral, or the Operation Magistral, was pointless. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it was bound to happen. I mean, that was the only way it was going to end. The yeah, Soviets couldn't stay there. Exactly. But still, <laughs> yeah, it's like fuck. I, and uh, for the most part, a lot of sold, Soviet soldiers thought uh, that they they this. I mean, they uh, they had been getting pretty disillusioned by the war for years, but that that was like the icing on the cake. Is like it's really it's a waste of time. Uh, now we have to pivot to the exciting side of things: politics. Nice. Yeah. Um. So domestically, the Soviet Union knew that the Najibullah government needs some work. The bad part was Najibullah seemingly never learned how to run a government. Um, He he actually seemingly uh, tried to do the opposite of that at at any time, which is weird because you put a fucking smooth-brained thug in charge of a government, and the only reason that you liked him is because he was good at killing people. Weird how those things don't transfer. Um, For instance, um, Afghanistan started having problems exporting natural gas and minerals. Their only way they're making money uh, because the Taliban started blowing up pipelines and taking trucks and making roads and Saboteur. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now he's, he started not having money to run the government. How do you think he get around that? Did he ask for a loan from the Russians? No, he simply printed more money. Sweet. Now, uh, anybody who's taking an, an elementary course on, uh, I don't know, economics, Google, any basilar education and economics you know you don't fucking just print more money um why we have all the paper yeah it just just put it on the paper then we have more money yeah he caused hyperinflation <laughs> it, like they said it reached somewhere up to 200 percent, which is a lot but uh i should put out the zimbabwe actually managed to create hyperinflation so bad that it was like over one thousand percent. Really? Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. People are bringing. What like, happened? <laughs> they kept. Like, <I> like, <laughs> they did this. Like, this is exactly what they did. I don't know how you. All right. Okay. Um. And God, it's hot in here. <laughs> so the 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 point of at this point there there have been a few Afghans who had managed to save up money. All their life savings is worthless now. Um, because now Afghanis are worth nothing Pretty much, yeah um, They att- At one point they attempted to pivot towards the ruble uh, You know, the Soviet uh, currency Yes. yes. Uh, but the Soviets were like, nah, why don't you stay on the Afghani Because <laughs> like, we don't uh, want you bringing up. our shit back <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't want you bringing our house down too, motherfucker <laughs> And I mean, it didn't take much longer until the ruble So they was... switched to bottle caps <laughs> yeah, Yes, it, Afghanistan is fallout Yeah. yeah. Uh, how many caps for that AK super mutant? <laughs> Seven Fuck. Yeah, like, I'm actually convinced that I'm actually convinced that Najibul is a ghoul. I've I no 14-foot reptile. <laughs> oh fuck, what are they called? Uh, death claws. Yes. Now, if the Soviet Union deployed Death claws into Afghanistan, uh, I like their chances, which actually um, I was watching a Netflix show called uh was it robot where are you going with it oh okay. robot Lo- loves-, loves death robot yes. or something like yes and the episode that the army deployed werewolves to afghanistan oh, that was the <laughs> shit i loved it <laughs> oh my to, god and then he had to fight a taliban werewolf oh it was great yeah um that was the part like i like it's like deploy werewolves fuck it let's deploy werewolves um I, also i feel like if the Soviet union deployed werewolves they would just join the mujahideen because they're be like man you guys suck <laughs> <laughs> no dog food This is horse shit that my fucking handler, Boris, doesn't even take me for walks. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so. Boris is probably just dead, holding onto the leash. (laughs) (laughs) Get fucking stabbed in the face by a Mujahideen fighter. Um, So uh, uh, no matter how much money the Soviets pumped into Afghanistan, and they were pumping a lot of money into Afghanistan, um, Najibullah hemorrhaged it about as fast as he could get it. Uh, oh, man. Finally, the Soviet foreign minister uh, threw his hands up and kind of... Hooray! In, and kind of, not like that, oh. like in, in quitting, uh, and said what everybody else was thinking. He said, quote, In essence, we are fighting the peasantry. The state apparatus isn't functioning and any advice we or help we give is totally ignored. Yeah. Um. Now, it's the important part of that quote is the Soviets re- finally realize they're fighting the peasantry, which is like, that's what communism is, is the opposite of, is empowering the, 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 the proletariat to overthrow everybody else and, and control the means of production. Uh, they had been doing a whole lot of not that. Um, Did they start seeing that? Uh, well, Gorbachev finally came to the conclusion that one of the problems at the heart of the war was this whole communism thing. Really? Wow. That's (laughs) he said. He he told Najibullah like maybe you guys shouldn't be communists anymore. (laughs) Hey, you guys just aren't for us. Well, like that's the whole point of the war. (laughs) It really is. I mean, I I get it. Uh, You see some parallels of that now in in the American effort in Afghanistan. We're like, well, maybe we should invite the Taliban into the government, which like that's the only way Americans are ever going to leave Afghanistan. But at the same time, like. I don't know how else you louder admit defeat. Like, the whole Ugh. reason they went to Afghanistan was to prop up communism. Right. And now they're like, well, maybe we just can't do communism in Afghanistan. Like, they were a shitty pyramid scheme, but they couldn't <laughs> fucking work with it. Like, holy fuck, you guys just <laughs> sucked that bad. Like, guys, we made Armenia work. You guys are fucked. <laughs> I could say that. I'm Armenian. <laughs> That's uh, the only country the Soviet bloc yes. I can directly shit on. You uh, wear grape leaves as shoes. Uh, I, I'm actually making us a wonderful Armenian dinner on Sunday. Apparently, I have to help. Yeah. Yeah. You're just going to help me buy what booze. What the fuck? Like, I've never done anything Armenian in my life except for fucking touch you. <laughs> Sensually. <sighs> <sighs> just like dad used to. All right. Moving on. Um, so. He rolled out what was uh, known as the National Reconciliation Policy, which was drawn off by Gorbachev and forced on Najibullah because he didn't want to reconcile with shit. Um, it was a comprehensive plan. All right, so I need, to put, I need to say this first. This is actually a good plan. For real? Yeah, it was actually, it's actually an all right plan. <laughs> he just said it was good. Oh, it's all right. I mean, <laughs> if you think about it's, it. It's, if you squint hard enough, you can see it working. <laughs> Um, It was a comprehensive plan that called for a nationwide ceasefire, elections, amnesty for political prisoners, and even a power-sharing agreement with the opposition, which is kind of what we're doing right now in Afghanistan. Uh, Najibullah even announced Islam as a state religion, which, no fucking shit, uh, because communism is is nominally atheist, uh, but he's pivoting back towards Islam. Uh, The country's name was changed back to the Republic of Afghanistan and Najibullah dropped all pretenses of Marxism or communism and changed the Communist Party's name. I That's mean, it? He, this, was, this was like a policy of doing, of, of like listening, literally listening to everybody's grievances that started the war. Right. And like, look, look, we'll fix it all. The problem was it had been fucking eight years. They now d- the main problem with the government was the Soviets and the yeah. government. They're just doubling back. They're just like, let's just bring it back. Yeah, uh, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of these changes required Najibullah to go with them um, because Gorbachev kind of thought Najibullah was a shithead, but didn't trust anybody else. So while he tried all these plans, Najibullah's like, nah, fam, this is still my country. Uh, the, pol- the party's policy, regardless of his name, changed suit the Watan party, not important. Um of just doing whatever the fuck Najibullah wanted to remain firmly party, in effect. Fucking um, it, it also, so another thing that it tried to do was bridge the gap. It wanted to bring the Mujahideen into the government, and into the government also included into the army, which never happened. The Mujahideen's like, <laughs> fuck no. Really? Yeah. Um, as you can imagine, none of this happened. Uh, Najibullah refused to give up any real power. The only opposition figures he allowed into the government were not opposition figures. They just happened to not be a member of his party. Um, and also they had no power and, all, and completely so under his point? thumb. Wind, window dressing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when elections were held, the, the Mujahideen sensed the government's desperation and simply boycotted the whole thing. And a single member of the opposition ever sat in parliament. Um, and I can see where the Mujahideen's coming from. They're like, you know, after years and years and years of kicking their fucking ass, they're starting to change. I think we're winning. Yeah. Like, w- at this point, why would they throw in with the government? Like, at any point that a reconciliation could have feasibly happened would have been, like, 84, maybe. We're, we're talking 87 now. Yeah, I mean. Another factor on the Soviet withdrawal was the international stage. Because this had been an international war. For most of the span of the war. Uh, the Soviets knew their boy in Kabul could only survive. If they could get assurances from the United States. Pakistan and everybody else with their hands in the game. That they would stop supporting the Mujahideen. And let the Afghan army with heavy Soviet backing. Beat it. Uh, the US and Pakistan for their part. Kind of went back and forth on the issue. But most importantly they refused to put it on paper. That they would stop. Um, a lot of the ways that it's framed now. Is that the Americans and the Pakistanis. And the Chinese and everybody else. Um, we're like, yeah, yeah, dude. We'll totally stop, and then just change their mind. It's like an under to the table type deal. But that's that's not what happened. It was not in the agreement. Right. Okay. <laughs> the um and the, it's really stupid that they took their word for it. Um, but Gorbachev decided to play hardball, and he put forward a possible withdrawal date of Soviet forces if the Americans would come around on these arm shipments. That ended up being really, really stupid. The Americans laughed it off because it not only meant the Soviets were so desperate to get out of the country, they already had plans to do so, but that they already had plans to do so whether the U.S. stopped arms shipments or not. I mean, mm. these plans had to be drawn up and they yeah. had to show the plans. Um, as you can imagine, this tanked the bargaining power of the Soviets at the negotiation table. They had, no, they had no leverage anymore. They're yeah. like, well, you're leaving, so I don't have to do shit. Um, at one point, there was a meeting... And the station, CIA station chief, I, I believe it was in Pakistan, between a uh, the KGB chief and the CIA station chief. And they were just begging the CIA officer to, like, please get a handle on this shit. He's like, I did what I could. And uh, he's like, you have to stop these attacks on on, on our soldiers. And uh, he's like, well, they'll stop attacking him when you leave. Ooh. And. Um and like that's when they realized like they just didn't give a fuck <laughs> they, yeah. like the Americans had th- there was no purpose for the Americans to negotiate this yeah. at all Um, though the Geneva Accords did include a provision that stopped cross-border shipments from Pakistan into Afghanistan If and if you remember that was how the Mujahideen was getting supplied in the first place right. so the Soviets kind of thought they were being clever because while the, the US did not and the US and Pakistan did not agree to stop supplying the Mujahideen. They, if by shutting off Pakistan, they thought they found like a loophole. So they signed the agreement. The Soviets clearly underestimated everybody's ability to just ignore the agreement they yeah. just signed. Um, now, it could be said that it's not sure if everybody was still openly supporting the Mujahideen. Well, that is clearly possible. What another thing that's is possible is that the Pakistani government and the American government had completely lost control of their proxies in the theater. Um and oh, I man. think that is more likely, especially looking at recent history. I mean,
1: like an like AI takes over.
0: Well, they they formed all these proxy groups, gave them these large stretches of land and endless amounts of cash. They effectively created a state within a state. Um and they really had no onus to, like, listen to anybody. Why, why would they? Yeah. They're like, we can just keep doing this. And Pakistan no longer controlled their own border. Um, and that has erupted into multiple small wars in the, in the frontier provinces since then. But, I mean, they, they really did not have control of the borders at this point anymore. And the U.S. never really had control of the Mujahideen anyway. No. So, they're just going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Um, and the Soviets saw all these violations Immediately, and they report them to the U.N., which is probably the most laughable part of this entire Wait, series. what? <laughs> the, the U.N. was tax, tasked with monitoring uh, people's compliance with the Geneva Accords. Right. And like pretty much every other agreement the U.N. is ever tasked with monitoring, they couldn't do anything to actually enforce it, and the U.N. just kind of threw their hands up like, I could write an angry letter. Right. <laughs> yeah. So slowly, the Soviets began handing over garrisons to the Afghan army and exiting the country. The plan was, Afghan soldiers took over where the Soviet soldiers left off, with vast Soviet logistical systems in place supplying the Afghans to continue the fight. The process did not go smoothly. Does it ever? No. Yeah. Uh, In May of 1988 uh, was the first Soviet garrison to hand over uh, control to the Afghans. It was in Jalalabad. Uh, The 66th Motor Rifle Brigade left their base to the Afghan comrades in full operational order and stocked with three months' worth of ammo, fuel, and supplies. Nice. Um, By noon of that same day, however, the base had been totally and completely stripped bare. Even the doors and window frames are torn out and sold off to anybody with money. I don't know how rich that market is. I don't, yeah. Um, I got frames. Got hot, fresh frames. You're not going to get these motherfuckers anywhere else. Just like your mama likes them. Hot, (laughs) fresh frames. Uh, so the Afghan commander... Now, the way the system was going to work is the Afghan commander's requisitioned their supplies through the Soviets because mm. the Afghans have no system. Yes. So the Afghan commander, who was just put in charge of Jalalabad, immediately sent a request to the Soviets for a resupply. Really? Yeah. It's Immediately? It's a fucking... like. <laughs> it's a hustle. It's a fucking hustle. <laughs> After that experience, the Soviets videotaped all of their turnovers. <laughs> wow. It's like... A bad divorce. It is literally what is happening now in Afghanistan. This shit. Okay, no, you can't stop that grift, motherfucker. <laughs> the hustle is hard, man. You know, I've said a lot. I said a lot of mean things about Afghan soldiers and policemen in my book, uh, but you, you can't hate on the hustle. It's true. I mean, motherfuckers gotta eat somehow. God, half of them aren't getting paid by their commanders anyway, so I mean, they gotta get their money somehow. True. So you're probably thinking. How in the hell was hundreds of thousands of Soviet soldiers simply going to drive out of Afghanistan without getting attacked? Mm, Yes. Good old fashioned bribery. Oh. So I was going for something a little bit more colorful. Like a little disguise. Like family guy dressed up like a clown. They're gonna be looking for soldiers. (laughs) You idiots. Like I was thinking more of the the fake sunglasses and the, the mustache. mustache and nose. Unfortunately, that's just how some of the Soviets looked. Anyway, oh, they're fucked. <laughs> they just put it on over. Fuck, <laughs> like I look the same. <laughs> uh, so the Soviet 40th Army, which was the the name of the group of soldiers in Afghanistan, it and was the 40th Army. It was called the um, the limited contingent of Afghanistan, but then it became the 40th Army. Unimportant, but I didn't want to confuse anybody. Um, sent their commanders a six-point list of, of things to promise the Mujahideen commanders in order to secure a safe passage. The Soviets would promise not to launch any offensives against them. They would turn a blind eye against looting and a hugely profitable drug trade. And Nikolai will suck your commander's dick right now. <laughs> if that doesn't work, Angus, do yeah. He'll do it in two minutes or less. <laughs> Watch, time him. Do it. <laughs> uh, uh, if people are unaware the area around afghanistan is like the number one supplier of the world's heroin and opium oh, you're going with bjs <laughs> it's like number one supply <laughs> it's a, it's actually where the main dick sucking factory is built it's <laughs> yeah. just outside jalalabad people you know people work the, so hard and they're they're just their work is never acknowledged some people pour one out for knock the, their own teeth out pour, to give good gum jobs <laughs> warm marshmallows <laughs> All right. I fucking hate you so Next. Uh, I'm just saying while you're listening to this, pour one out for the brave workers of the Jalalabad Dick Sucking Factory. <laughs> uh, my my, my Dick Sucking Factory union position has actually expired recently. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Can't do it anymore. Um, so outside of just Turning a blind eye to them, stripping the country, parents selling drugs. Um, there's also a fair amount of just like just regular old bribery, like giving them tons and tons of money. Yeah. Um, now, the Afghani, as we talked about, was useless, and now we are we are on so, the yeah. What are they The tipping like? point of the Soviet Union falling apart. So the ruble is also largely useless. Um. So they had to actually give them U.S. dollars. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, they also made tons of really bad faith promises about a fu- uh, future political power, which remember was not like an IOUs. Happen. Well, I mean, they gave them stacks and stacks of US dollars, which I mean, think about that in your head. It's kind of funny. Uh, the, the people who had supplied the Mujahideen to kill the Soviets, yeah. uh, the, the Soviets were now using their money to bribe the Mujahideen into not killing them. It's a circle. Man, these guys are getting bad stacks. Yeah. The uh, Mujahideen largely bought in, though t- attacks did continue uh, because there isn't one like contiguous Mujahideen uh, central command. Right, they're all commanded by warlords, so they got here. They got a couple here and there. Uh, the Soviets begged the U.S. and Pakistan to tell their proxies to stop attacking, um, and they told the Soviets they totally did, but they weren't listening. Like. Like we said before, you can take this one of two ways. They were lying to the Soviets, which shouldn't surprise anybody, or they had lost control of their proxies in the region, which going off recent history suggests is also probably true. I imagine the US couldn't even communicate with them. I feel like it's a combination of the two. The, the Americans, did, there was nothing, like I said before, there was, there was no point of the, of the true, of yeah. Americans doing any favors for the Soviets. They knew they were winning. I imagine they did the old, oh, you, you want me to tell them to stop communicating? They did the old, like, put the phone on the shoulder. Hey, stop. Told them, you're good. Yeah, it's weird. They're not listening. Yeah. What, and you know, attacks continued to tick upwards. Uh, somewhere north of, f- I think it was 500 or 600 Soviet soldiers died just trying to leave Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> That's what disguises are for. <laughs> uh, in one case, a brigade was trying to leave Kandahar when it was ambushed by Mujahideen so fiercely they were unable to actually leave as, as it was planned. It took the brigade three tries and two whole goddamn months to withdraw from Afghanistan. That sucks so fucking bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> the Mujahideen who did abide by the ceasefire were not stupid, nor did they actually think they were going to get any political power. They knew this was something to be breather there to try to steal and gather as many weapons and like a surplus of cash as they could in preparation for the final battle of the Afghan government once the Soviets were finally gone. Things were so lax that Soviet soldiers and Mujahideen fighters openly met in markets and traded guns, booze, and liquor. That's awesome. Uh, the Soviets also took the time to loot the country's bazaars of everything that wasn't nailed down before catching it right out of the country. If they can get out of the country, yeah. If they can. Uh, also, there's a lot of inner like infighting between the Mujahideen at this point. Like different warlords are fighting other warlords trying to take their areas over. They they know the end is near. and yeah. they're, they're trying to better position themselves. Which yeah, why not? Uh, the Soviets, however, did not have the same faithfulness towards their agreement. One Mujahideen commander pissed, uh, pissed off Najibola and his Soviet masters more than just about anybody else. Can you guess who it was? Just go ahead. Our boy, Ahmed Shah Massoud. Really? He had, I mean, remember, he had been the one they couldn't pin down. They never really beat. Yeah. He just popped out of his valley to fuck him up whenever he wanted. <laughs> um, Ew. And, you know, they had been uh, advocating these ceasefires with other Mujahideen groups, but Najibullah did not want a ceasefire from Massoud. He wanted fucking disarmament. He wanted Massoud to surrender. That was this deal, even though Massoud had not lost. Yeah. Like, look, we know you've been literally just kicking us yeah. in the balls for a fucking decade, but uh, how about you hand over your weapons? I I imagine he didn't take that deal. No, he fucked off back to his valley. Um, also, back to the shadows, he's just like, fuck off. <laughs> Peace out, bitches. Smoke bomb. Yeah. Uh, there's also a little bit more to it. Najibullah probably had his. His feelings hurt a bit because one of the time. So back during the reconciliation period before it was abandoned, twenty minutes later, somebody forgot his birthday. Oh, definitely. And, yeah, get him a box full of nothing. Uh, but they had one of the opposition figures that they had offered a job to was Masood. They offered him the position of minister of defense. Masood said no. I mean, I don't fucking blame him. Yeah, he's like, this government's got like a month to live. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Uh, so he was probably like. You know, personally slighted by that and wanted to get revenge. Really? Yeah, that's it. I mean, the Soviets feared that Massoud turned down the position because Massoud knew he was strong enough to beat the government as soon as the Soviets were gone by himself. Um, so, in order to neutralize him, the Soviets launch Operation Typhoon. Okay, completely ignoring their own ceasefire. Yeah. The Soviets began bombarding the dog of him with rockets, airstrikes, and artillery. Uh, Now, they were a bit skittish when it came to committing ground troops. Uh, Now, remember, as far as Gorbachev was concerned, all offensive operations had ended. He probably didn't even know about this. Uh, In the end, Massoud lost around 600 people in the operation, and the only thing the Soviets managed to do was piss Massoud off, who ordered his forces to fuck the Soviet shit up. Fuck. Now, if you remember, we talked about why Massoud's position was so beneficial and such a huge thorn in the side of the 40th Army. That's because the main Soviet route to withdraw cut straight through Massoud's territory and through the dreaded Salang Pass. Ooh. Things started getting so bad in the area, Massoud's fighters started propping up Soviet bodies on the sides of the road to remind them that whose fucking valley it was. That's a power move. That's Big Massoud energy. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> as the Soviet withdrawal sped up, things got worse, as they always do. In many cases, as soon as the Soviet left the area, the entire Afghan army garrisons would just desert in mass. Just, <laughs> fuck it, I guess mom's gone! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in an, so, uh, in one occasion, when the Soviets evacuated the city of Kunduz, the uh, Mujahideen simply walked in and took it without a fight. In another place, the Mujahideen began fighting each other, attempting to put themselves in a better position. of this, however, would slow the Soviet withdrawal down. On February 15th, the last official Soviet soldier, General Boris Gromov himself, crossed the Friendship Bridge into Uzbekistan. Now, mm, Yes, yeah, the Friendship Bridge. He, he said that I am the last Soviet soldier. Like, there's no Soviet soldiers behind me. There's literally Ooh, yeah. hundreds. Yeah, give fuck, dude. <laughs> there's hundreds of advisors and, and spetsnaz behind him, not to mention the, like, five or six hundred dudes who were still there, in yeah, captivity. There were people that were left behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's documentaries about it. They're still there. Don't worry. That's what the next episode's about. Oh, okay. Um, can I guess on that one what's that can I guess on that episode uh, we'll see okay we'll see if I, uh, my people will talk to your people I think my dog I, might I don't ban. have people <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Soviets pretty much assumed that as soon as they step foot of Afghanistan the Afghan government would just collapse into it on themselves start selling their own clothes <laughs> yeah Najibullah just rips <laughs> off his own <laughs> <laughs> underwear 20 bucks 20 bucks <laughs> I soiled myself <laughs> it's got real fresh skid marks <laughs> That was not the case, however. Not that Najibullah didn't have skid marks. He probably yeah, did. He was sure. drunk he like def, a lot. Yeah. He probably had some drunk poops. Um, uh, who hasn't? Najibullah's Afghan army would have fought on far longer than anybody could have even imagined in their wildest dreams. Their, actually, their ability to fight got better when the Soviets left. Really? Yes! Um, like, and the Soviets started pouring new weapons into the battlefield, like MiGs, uh, to, the, uh, to the Afghans, and Scud missiles. What? Yeah, and uh, another thing is now the Mujahideen thought the um, the government was on its last legs, and the, the, at this point the Afghans really were not trying any offensive operations. They were hunkering down around cities, and that kind of forced the Mujahideen to fight conventionally, uh, okay. which caused the Afghan army to fuck their shit up. Um, actually fucked them up so bad it broke up a lot of Mujahideen working relationships. Wow. Um, a lot of these groups banded together. To uh, one of them is uh, Dostum, uh, Rashid Dostum, who we'll talk about again in a little bit. But um, they all banded together with like tens of thousands of them to storm cities and stuff. And they were like attempting to attack Afghan army trench lines, which remember is the only thing they're ever t- trying to do is conventional warfare. And they just got lit to shit and broke up and actually caused more Mujahideen infighting. I wouldn't expect that, honestly. That's crazy. Part of me uh, wants to believe that the Afghan army actually fought better because they had no choice. Um like they they finally had a core of good trained veterans that weren't deserting every fucking three days. Um and they were fighting for their own country. And maybe part of it was understanding like when we lose, we're all gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> like they're That's not pretty good incentive. D- they're not gonna just like, well, go ahead and take your uniform off and go yeah. home. Like they're going to kill us. And then sell their uniforms. <laughs> yeah. So, the Republic of Afghanistan would survive so long, it would outlive the Soviet Union. With the death of the Soviet Union, their weapon pipeline was finally cut off, dooming the Afghan army. Dang. That was what finally made Afghanistan lose, was the fact that the Soviet Union had to die. Um, To further kick Najibullah while he was down, his favorite militia commander, Rashid Dostum betrayed him and joined the Mujahideen. And his own defense minister attempted to kill him. What? Yeah. How? Good old fashioned coup. Ah, uh, I was expecting um, something cooler. With the walls coming down around him, Najibullah was forced from power, but he could not go far as nobody would allow him to leave the country. <laughs> now, here's the craziest part. Massoud was like, come north, I'll protect you. After all those years, Massoud's like, Did I can he? give you safe passage into Uzbekistan and towards Russia. He's fucking with him, right? No. Really? Yeah, he had nothing against Najibullah. He just wanted him to be not in charge of the government. Pretty stand-up guy. Yeah, he was. Unfortunately, he got suicide bombed by a camera guy. Yeah. Um, now, uh, Najibullah turned him down. This probably wasn't anything personal. He didn't hate Masoud that much, but it was, it was a racial thing. Um, Najibullah was Pashtun. Uh, Masoud is Tajik. And so is the vast majority of what is now known as the Northern Alliance. Um. So. He if he would have ran to him for protection, he would have been like almost like a race trader. OK, <laughs> so, yeah, so just good old fashioned racism. Yeah, whatever. Um. So while all this is going on, the Taliban forms in Pakistan. Nice. It's where they format. If you're not familiar, I'm, I'm not familiar. No, I'm not in I'm those like, same no, American and Saudi back oh, religious schools. Wow. Yeah. Now I'm remembering, yeah, the... Oh, fuck. (laughs) God. They stormed into Afghanistan, sweeping the Mujahideen along with them. Soon, they're at the gates of Kabul. The Taliban stormed the capital city and captured Najibullah. He was tortured, castrated with a bayonet, and shot in the face, and then drugged through the streets on the back of a truck. You can see this on YouTube. Oh. Yep. Could have done without that. Yeah, Uh, And immediately afterwards, a new Afghan civil war would begin. Just continuous fighting. Yep. Wow. Now remember, none of this would have ever happened if Daoud did not overthrow his fucking cousin. See, family relationships started (laughs) all... Yeah. In the fucking 70s. Here we are in 96, and it's finally over, only to begin again. So not over. And now the Soviets are involved. (laughs) You got that. (laughs) So... Around 620,000 Soviet soldiers served in Afghanistan. According to official accounts, 13,000 died there. That number is almost. Why does that number sound so bullshit? Because it's almost certainly wrong. Um, Many former Soviet generals put the number of dead at around 75,000. Another half million were wounded. Even the unofficial number of Soviet dead pales in comparison to the suffering of the Afghan people, which continues to this day. A staggering 1.5 million Afghans are thought to have died with another 7 million displaced with an entire society left in utter ruin. And this concludes the Soviet-Afghan war. Great ending. (laughs) Uh, It's thought that a quarter of the uh, the Afghan population just was gone at the end of the war. Fuck. Dead, displaced. um, It's awful. Uh, Yeah. And nobody will really know uh, the numbers to this day because the war just kept on rolling and it continues to this day. Um, Yeah, I'm sad now. Great. So that's the series. We have one more episode um, next week that will be about the war but it won't have it won't be uh, like the continuous part where the Taliban secures southern Afghanistan and uh, we're not going to go into that um it's going to be about the lives and times of, of a Soviet conscript and what happened to the hundreds of people that stayed in Afghanistan after the war i uh, think of it as an addendum because i feel like it's it's something that needs to be talked about and it really didn't fit in anywhere else uh but thank you for tuning in these last 6 fucking weeks yes. um I have really enjoyed it. This is probably my favorite series. I think I like it better than Iran ran Iraq. I do too. Um, I don't know. Maybe you, you guys tell us which one you liked more uh, and we'll get to work on our next one. Um, so thank you for tuning in Rate and Review us on iTunes. If you think what we do is worth a buck, throw us a buck. You get bonus content. You get early episodes. Uh, you get access to our communal discord. Tell a to die. Um, if you donate $5 or up, you get more than one bonus episode a month. And we are trying to pump those out as fast as we can. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at lions underscore By. You can follow me at jcast99 until I'm finally banned. Yeah, you've been going a while. I'm surprising. I don't know how. I'm, I'm trying to get a blue check mark so they won't ban me. It's not happening well, though. <laughs> You can follow Nick at Nickcast M1.: Yes. and until then, uh, don't get castrated with the bayonet. <laughs> yeah Later later)